we're going to go to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, you know, is the story of Paul and Barnabas. They are in the church in Antioch, and they're fasting and praying as the church, and they say, they hear the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit says to them, set aside Paul and Barnabas. I've called them to go and do some stuff. So they, they pray for Paul and Barnabas. They agree. They say, it's good to us in the Holy Spirit that Paul and Barnabas go. And so Paul and Barnabas go out, start on this journey. And they go on this missionary journey. And uh, if you read this, uh, the, the, the portion, it says they first start in Cyprus, where we like to go on holiday, and then to the island of Paphos, and then to Pamphylia. And once they're in Pamphylia, they go to this, another town called Antioch, but this is Pisidian Antioch. And um, they are willing to be sent. They go out full of the Holy Spirit. They go out to encourage the church and they obey the voice of the Holy Spirit and they go. And they arrive in this place called Pisidian Antioch, which is a, church, which is a, a community of about 50,000 people. That's what archaeologists say. About 50,000 people lived in this, um, this community. And because Paul is a good church man, he's a good Jewish guy, the first thing he does is he finds the synagogue. He seeks out the church community. He goes to the town. He says, okay, where does the church meet? Where's the synagogue? I want to be there. And so he goes to the church community. It's the first thing he does. And I can kind of imagine the conversation that happened when Paul arrives at the church in Pisidian Antioch. Perhaps, I don't know how they did it then, perhaps they had a welcome team. And he's welcomed. Welcome. You, I can see you visiting here today. What's your name? So he says, my name's Paul, and here's my friend Barnabas. We're just passing through. Uh, we started in Cyprus, and uh, we went through Pamphylia, and now we're here. It's great to be with you this morning. And so the guy on the welcome team or whatever welcomes Paul. And um, then he says to Paul, are you interested in the Torah? Are you Jewish? Are you interested in, in studying the, the Scripture? And Paul says, actually, I am. <laughs> he says, I'm actually a Pharisee. And I actually studied, I studied with Gamaliel. And that was a big deal. That, if, if, if this guy in the, the welcome team or whatever was any person that knew anything about the Jewish faith, he would have said, Gamaliel, you studied with Gamaliel. That was the big deal. He was the highest authority in, the, in the, the Jewish synagogues at that time. And I can imagine this guy who welcomed Paul and Barnabas must have gone to the leaders of the synagogue and said, hey, we've got a guy visiting this morning who studied with Gamaliel. And so you read in verse 19, I think it is, the leaders come and they say, Paul, do you have, do you have anything to encourage us with? So Paul's not a shrinking violet, is he? He doesn't kind of, he's not a shy guy. He says, absolutely, you want to be encouraged? I've got something to say. And he, he, he gives them an, a history of ordinary people's lives and God's power working through ordinary people in the Old Testament. And he starts with Abraham, and he moves on to, to David and the kings, and he gives them this little praise of what God has promised to do. And then he says an amazing thing. He says, in our generation, all of this, God's plan of redemption has come true in our generation. And he points them to Jesus. He points them to the resurrected Christ. And he says, through this Jesus, we can all receive forgiveness of sins and peace in our relationship with God. And he says these amazing words in verse 39. He says, for by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything for which you could not be freed with by the law of Moses. And that's the great promise that he unpacks. He says, my friends, 
all of you, my fellow Jews, you've been striving under the Lord to free yourselves from some things, and Jesus has done all of that for you. You are freed from this, and all you need to do is believe on Him. He preaches the gospel, and they are so encouraged. They've never heard this message before. Never heard it. And so they say, hey, Paul, that's really interesting. Do you mind coming back next week to tell us a little bit more? And so he says, sure, I'll come back. And he, and he makes the plan to come back the next week. And I want to just remind you at the very beginning of, of this year, do you remember the first time that you heard the amazing news of the gospel? The amazing grace of the gospel and how it softened your heart. Do you remember that time? Can you remember what it felt like? Can you remember the life of Christ coming into you by the preaching of God's word, by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, however it happened to you? Can you remember that moment? Because that's what radically transformed these people. When they once again were just, when they were just for the first time experienced the amazing kindness of God, freeing them from everything that had enslaved them under the law. Can you imagine what it must have been like for them? Do you remember how grace radically transformed your life? I say this often. Grace changes everything. I want to ask you, not in an introverted way, just to reflect on your, on, on your own life. How much has the grace of God transformed your life? How much are you allowing the grace of God to transform your life from the inside out? You see... These people heard this message. It was absolute life to them. And that Paul is, in this loving way, just trying to engage with them. And so they say, come back and speak to us next week. And this is where Milton Keynes come in, comes in. Because it says the very next week, the whole town, almost, the scripture says, almost the entire town turns out to hear Paul again. 50,000 people in a week. That blows my mind. This little church community, because actually, the archaeologists, uh, the scholars think, there were probably around 200 people in the synagogue. We have in our church community, with our kids, around 200 people, 230 people. It means the 200 got so excited about the grace of God and this message of God that they'd heard, that each of them under the compulsion of the Holy Spirit and the joy of the Holy Spirit, told 250 other people so that almost the whole town came to hear Paul. It is a miracle. It is absolutely incredible. It's like Milton Keynes' bowl being filled with people coming to hear the message of Paul. St. Albans has 90,000 people approximately. More than half of St. Albans would have turned out the next week to hear Paul's message of grace. Because 200 people got excited. Man, I don't know about that, but I find it challenging, I find it encouraging, and I find it so amazing that God can do anything, that He can do something very quickly. In one week, 200. The next week, 50,000. <laughs> There's this spirit-led urgency in these people to get their friends to hear this amazing message of God's kindness. Can you imagine what God could do with us? What God could do with the whole church in St. Albans, in Hatfield, wherever His church is gathered in this region, if we would be compelled by the same urgency to get our friends to hear the message of God's grace? Can you imagine what God could do with us this year? I'm not trying to hype you because I don't like hype. I'm trying to encourage you. 
Can you imagine, can you begin to dream what God could do through us if we would allow His Spirit to compel us with the same urgency? And the same urgency is just, I want to get my friends to hear this amazing message of God's grace. His kindness that saves sinners. Verse 44, does say, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered. So perhaps it wasn't the whole city, but it was almost the whole city gathered to hear Paul. Surely that's where the church starts to become more, most effective. Surely that's the God's encouragement to us, that we are those that are beginning to engage in conversations in the marketplace where we are with our friends in our business context, that we become joyful witnesses of this message of joy and freedom that God has done on the inside of us. The whole of the congregation became conversation starters. Can I encourage you this year that you become a conversation starter? In your workplace, as a nurse, as a teacher, as a business person, as someone who works in a coffee shop, that you can be engaged in conversations with people, starting conversations around the good news of Christ and what He's done for you. And I want to give you some simple keys that I think we can learn to get better at that in. And you know what I find incredible? In the middle of this amazing, miraculous move of God, there are still some unhappy people. No matter what God does, there are always grumpy, unhappy people. And here we have, in this move of miraculous proportions, some grumpy, unhappy people. And what does it say? It says, when the Jews saw the crowds of people gathering, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was speaking, reviling him, mocking him. Well, they must have started in the synagogue, but I can imagine as they had to spread out into the amphitheater because there was an amphitheater there in Pisidian Antioch, an outdoor space where the 50,000 could have met. I can imagine as this crowd started to come into to the, the synagogue, some of these religious people saying, what are you doing here? You've never been here before. Are you Jewish? Do you know what we stand for? This is my seat. <laughs> I've sat here for the last 25 years. What are you doing on my seat? You know, I think there are some people that don't want the church to grow because it inconveniences them. <laughs> because they might lose the seat they've always sat in. Because there'll be too many new people to get to know. We just like our little friends, our friendship circle. Too many new people to get to know if, if oodles of people come in. Well, I want to say this. I am so glad when I was thinking about this, when I was praying about this, I'm so glad that when I look at this church, I don't see that. I see a joyful, welcoming community. It fills my heart with joy that we are seeing people from different backgrounds, cultures, and different walks of life find a home here. I am absolutely thrilled by that. I see many people meeting Jesus and growing in their knowledge of God's grace. Let that continue this year. But let the story also challenge us to greater levels of joy in how we share our faith. You see, it's usually religious people, usually, that are not happy when the church begins to grow. It's a hallmark of religious people that they're not stirred when they see a move of God, that God is doing a new thing. And I say this, having grown up in the Methodist church. Uh, I've, I have many stories of my dad preaching faithfully the gospel week after week after week, and some of the people in the congregation complaining that the piano was being used instead of an organ. 
complaining that the pews had been moved, complaining that an overhead projector had been installed instead of hymn sheets, complaining, complaining, complaining. Religious people always complain when it's not done their way. And the new thing that God is doing does. So I want to encourage you, let this never be true of this beautiful church community. Let us again all be stirred by this question, how exciting is it to us that the story of grace gets out into this community? How exciting is it to you to let the story of grace impact your family and, and, and your friends? Does it excite you? I want to encourage you, let it start to excite you. The message of God's goodness and kindness and love begin to bubble in you and get out through you into your friends and family. And so I want to ask you as we begin this year, what stops us experiencing this kind of move that they saw in Pisidian Antioch? What stops us from being so moved by Christ's love and compelled by the urgency of the Spirit that we cannot but help tell our friends of God's goodness? Well, I was listening to this guy that I met in Willow Creek, a guy called Steve Carter, and he was talking about spiritual transformation. And he quoted a university professor from Chicago who wrote about how we can move from those that think something is a good idea to actually owning the idea. I mean, you might hear me this morning and think, oh, actually, that is a good idea. We should actually, yeah, that would be great. All of us own this message and get it out. That's a great idea. I agree with you. Brilliant idea. <laughs> How do we move from it being a brilliant idea to actually owning the idea? And so this guy um, spoke of a five-step process that I'd like to just share with you. And I want to ask you to get a piece of paper or your mobile phone with your notes. I'm going to ask you to write five words down. Please, all of you, please. Just five words. Well, they're little phrases, not single words. The first is this. Become aware. Become aware. Number one, become aware. Got it? Number two, ponder and wrestle. Ponder and wrestle. Number three, become a value. Number four, become a priority. Number five, own the idea. So number one, become aware. Number two, ponder and wrestle. Number three, becomes a value. Number four, becomes a priority. Number five, own the idea. So the first thing that I'd like to unpack, and we're just going to go through those five things, and then I'm going to ask you to honestly take some time, and we're going to do it in the meeting, to take some time and to reflect on your own life as I have done, and on, on a scale to one to five, rate yourself on, on some things. Honestly. Just you and God. Don't, don't worry about your neighbor, all right? Remember, we try to think of a process, how can we move from just owning an idea as a good concept to living in that idea? And the idea we want to explore today is, is that we are in an invitational community, that we are inviting people to Christ. Okay, so here, first thing, becoming aware. Uh, 
Let me say this. I, I know from my own life that it's, it's very tempting to sometimes step back from what you know is true. Um, for me, in terms of sharing my faith, I find that a challenge that sometimes to engage with people and share my faith in a personal way. It's a constant challenge for me. Because I think there can be a, a number of reasons. Perhaps in the past, there have been some people that have opposed me or mocked me or whatever, and I haven't seen success in terms of converts for those people. And then, so the natural thing then is to shrink back. So I've been thinking about this, and God has been convicting me and saying, actually, it is my responsibility to live a life that invites other people to Him. It's the responsibility of every Christ follower. It's a privilege that all of us have. Christ has found us. Christ has invited us. And we have this incredible privilege to invite others towards the person of Jesus. And... Um, that's intriguing, isn't it? That we get to cooperate with, this, with, with, with God. So we need to be convinced with that. So I, I, I want to ask you, are you aware in your own life that you are called, like every other believer, to be someone who invites others to Jesus? I think what we can default to someone is, uh, sometimes is to say, that's not my gifting. I'm an introvert. I don't, I don't find it easy to share my faith with, with other people. Well, well, that might be true. And I, 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 I'm married to an introvert. I find my eldest son is also an introvert. But both of them are still bold to share something of what God has done with their friends. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert. It's are you convinced? Are you, have you become aware that God wants that of you? Personally. Not just the church. Isn't that how, I'm always fascinated how people speak about the church. Like they put it on other people. <laughs> no, we are the church. You and me. Oh, it's the church's responsibility to evangelize. It's the church's responsibility to be generous. It's the church's responsibility to take care of the poor. It's the church's responsibility to serve the community. What do we do? We put it on other people and make what's saying it's not my responsibility. Somehow I am not. No, we are the church. You and I. Together. It's our responsibility. So let's become aware of that. Secondly, to ponder and wrestle. This is the second part of the process. Once, once we are convinced, yep, God, you want that for me, then there's a sense of how we can wrestle with that in our own lives and how can we share the love of Christ in a winsome way with other people. And this is what I mean. I have a dear friend that some of you have met and we've been praying for in our, in our life group, my neighbor, who has a, a daughter who has leukemia. And she's only three. And uh, my friend, he found out that his daughter had leukemia when she was 18 months. And so for the last 18 months, we've been meeting with him. We've been sharing the love of Christ with him. We've been talking about parenting with him. We've prayed with him. And he's come and done some work in the coffee shop. There's, there's a winsome way that you can share Jesus with others. That doesn't have to be a preachy way. And we can all discover that for ourselves. And sometimes we draw back because of negative experiences that we've had. I remember when I was living in Johannesburg, there was a suburb called Randburg, and there was this guy. I found him personally quite weird. I don't know if other people did, but he had a coffin on a car with turn or burn on the coffin. And when you walked through the, the, uh, the actual um, shopping center, he would literally jump out like this and say, Are you saved? Do you know where you're going when you die? Do you guys remember that guy? He used to frighten the life out of me. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not a winsome way of sharing Jesus. I'm not sure that you might have got some people scared into the kingdom. I don't know. 
I'm not judging him, but I'm saying, let's find ways of sharing the gospel that are true to who we are, that, that share the gospel with others in a life-giving way. And we can all find ways to do that. Thirdly, it becomes a value. When it becomes a value, it means that your headspace changes. It means that your time allocation changes. It means that your energy and how you allocate your week changes so that you can engage more with other people and you start living invitationally. I, I've, I've found that I've had to learn to do that with my neighbor because he's, he, he's, um, he's a single parent. And I found that people that are single generally want to talk a lot. Why? Because they don't have a husband or wife to talk to. So they'll come and talk to you. And sometimes it is inconvenient because I'm cooking supper for my family and I really don't have half an hour to talk. But he wants to talk. So what do I do? I'm learning to talk. I'm learning to engage with him. Why? Because I really do love him. And I want to see something of God's kingdom break into his life. It costs you. It costs your energy. It costs your focus. It costs your way that you allocate your life to be purposefully inviting people to the life of Christ that we have. Are you getting what I'm saying this morning? So, once we've done that, we can be, it becomes a value for us. And so, then we, when, when, we've, when we've allowed it to become a value, we can, we can move beyond just talking about it as a good idea, but acting on the idea so that we can be those that own the idea. And so we live by every decision that we make. It becomes like a grid through which we live our lives. How is this helping me to engage in a Christ-centered way with someone who doesn't know him? So it becomes a priority. See, it's the same with values in the church. Uh, I've, I've discovered this when I was doing this exercise for myself. Between three and four, there's often a big gap. Yeah? What was three? Sorry? Value. And four is? Priority. That's where the gap is for me. I think it is a value for me, but it's not yet fully, I don't fully embody it as a priority so that my time and everything else is being allocated uh, pr- proportionately. You see, it's the same that we have, uh, w- w- for those of you that have been in the church or are you in the church, we have some values that we hold to. And they are things like unity, forgiveness, honor and respect, courageous faith, generosity, servant-heartedness, being authentic. These are our values. It's very easy for all of us to agree. <laughs> you come to the course, yep, that is a good value. I agree, unity is a good thing. We all agree. It's a different thing to live in that value for yourself. (laughs) How do you live in the value? When you hear someone saying something that's speaking badly about another person, you ask them to keep quiet. And you speak well of that person. It's harder to live in the value. It's very easy to say, forgiveness is a good thing. Much harder by the power of the Spirit, to really forgive someone that's hurt you. (laughs) Isn't it? Easy to agree on the value, harder to live in it by the power of the Spirit. Easy to say, servant-heartedness, yes, I am. We need to be servant-hearted. Don't get me to serve a cup of coffee. And when I get asked to serve a cup of coffee, I'm going to let you know that it's actually inconvenient to me to serve you a cup of coffee today. And it's actually cost me. What is servant-hearted about that? Nothing! Don't serve the cup of coffee then. (laughs) 
I would rather the coffee is served by joyful, happy people who are saying, it is my privilege to serve you because you are Christ's follower and I love you and I will, I will give of myself to serve you today because it's a joy for me to do it. No? See, very easy to say we agree on the values. Much harder to live in them by the power of the Spirit. That's what I'm trying to say. That's when we really own the idea, when we are living in the idea. And so that's what's been challenging me this week. So I want to ask you, on your little list, honestly, just you and God, rate yourself. Number one, do you think it's a good idea to live an an invitational life? If you do, rate yourself. How do you think it is? One to five. One for poor, five to good. Rate yourself on, on that. Secondly, in terms of wrestling with this idea, have you engaged with it at all? Or is it all theory? Rate yourself, one to five. Has it become a value in any way? Rate yourself, one to five. Just do a little exercise. What I'd like you to do is this week, prayerfully, just reflect on your list. This is not an accusation. It's saying, God, how can I grow in this for my life? I said to you already, for me, there's a big gap between three and four. (laughs) So what I want to try and do this year, I want to try and close the gap. Yeah? Close the gap. So it's not such a big gap that it's becoming smaller so I can better engage with people. All right? To finish, I want to just give you some very practical things. How can we engage with people in what I want to call a winsome way? Not jumping out from behind the coffin, saying, where are you going, (laughs) all right? Not that. But engaging with people in a winsome way. Well, just I want to look at the word evangelism. Um, You know, evangelos, the word comes from a picture, really. It it comes from a Roman picture of a procession, and we've all seen Gladiator, have you not? The movie? And you know, when they defeat an enemy, they, they have a parade, and the enemies are all par- par- paraded before the emperor, and um, there's an evangelist. There's someone who announces the news of what has happened. That's where the word comes from. And normally, in those contexts, it was to scare the people, to scare the enemies, to say, actually, this is going to happen to you if you don't bow your knee to Rome. That's basically what it was about. And so, there's this idea that evangelism is the, in, the announcing of this good news of what Christ has done for us. And there's two traditional ways that people have done that. The first, there's a fancy theological word, eschatological, eschatological view of evangelism, which is to do with the end. What's going to happen after you die? What's going to happen when you pass away? So people present the gospel in this way. Do you know where you're going when you die? Yeah? Yeah? So that's an end-time view. And it's essentially, it's quite negative in this sense that it's about death. It's about the cross. It's about arriving in heaven, not in hell. That's kind of the way that it's couched. And that's true. We do have to make people aware of, of uh, those things. But is it the best way? I'm just asking the question this morning. Second, there's this um, sense that since the 80s, there's been an ethical evangelism. This is what I mean. Have you ever noticed in the last... 20 years, that people are much more concerned now with issues like sex trafficking, saving the planet, um, drug addicts, all these kind of issues. And the gospel is presented in this sense, we need to save people out of that. God has called us to redeem the planet. 
And it's about the big picture of what God is doing. And so we need to save people out of drug addiction. We need to save people that are, be, are being enslaved sexually. And we, we must do what we can to enslave people, to, to get people out of that slavery. That's a very good thing. That is an ethical view of evangelism. So the, the idea is when we do that, when we live like that, people are going to ask, why are you living like that? And we're going to be able to say, it's all because of Jesus. And they'll, they'll come to Christ. That's the idea. Are you with me? So proclamation evangelism, eschatological evangelism on the one hand, and on the other hand, I call it skinny jeans theology. Skinny jeans people. That's what they're concerned with. Hipster kind of theology. It's all about saving the planet. But it doesn't really talk about sin. It doesn't really talk about your relationship with Jesus. And you see, that's the problem. The one talks a lot about sin and redemption. But it doesn't always address the issues that people are finding are issues for them. The other one addresses all the issues, but it doesn't always speak about repentance and sin and the way to Christ. So what is my point? My point is very simple. We need both. We need to proclaim the good news of Jesus in a way that challenges people. And we need to live in a way that says, yes, this is, I'm embodying what the, the idea that I'm, I am presenting you with. The planet does need to be saved. But I'm saving it not because it's a good cause, but because Jesus wants me involved in caring for his creation. Because Jesus cares about people that are caught in, in, in sexual slavery. The motivation is very different. And so, this is what I want to leave you with this morning, is that we need to tell the whole story. N.T. Wright, who's an English theologian, has a wonderful way that he's used the Bible. He just says, there are five things that the Bible story talks about. Creation, the fall, Israel, the people of God. And uh, I'm sure you're aware of this, but Israel, remember, Jacob wrestled the angel, and when he overcame the angel, his name was changed to Israel. Israel literally means wrestling with God. So it's the story of Israel's wrestle with God, their struggle, and then it has to do with redemption and restoration. And so what I'm saying to you this morning is that what we can do to engage with people in a winsome way is to get them to tell their story to you. Get them to tell their story. If you can get them to tell your sto their story to you of their struggle, how many of you in this room this morning, have had some kind of struggle in your life. We all have a story to tell. We all have a story to tell of our personal struggle. What has been difficult in my life might be difficult for you, but this is the, the beauty of what I'm trying to say to you. We need to find some metaphors for the cross to help people in their struggles. You understanding what I'm saying? Get people to engage and tell their story. That's what I'm trying to do with my neighbor. I'm trying to help him to tell his story to me. You know, it's an incredible privilege when someone tells you something of their life and some, shares some, deep, some secret that they've not shared with anyone else. It's an amazing privilege. You know what that says? That says, I trust you. I trust you with my life. I want, I want to hear what you have to say about my life. That's an incredible privilege. It's also a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to know that when someone is saying that to you, they are engaging with you at a deeper level. When they are engaging with you at, at a deeper level, you can begin to speak of what Christ has done for you and share the joy of what Christ has done for you to bring freedom to them. I, I was, um, like I said, I was talking with some friends uh, in Chicago, and um, 
one of the guys was saying this, and I, I think I've said it in different forums, but he said, if you've struggled to engage with someone and they've always just like frowned at you and kind of like ignored you completely and you try to engage with the person at the school gate or whatever, and they're constantly doing that with you, and then one week they actually smile. Rejoice! Why? Because you've made progress. They're no longer hating you, they're at least smiling now at you. Isn't that right? And I want to encourage you as we go in, um, on in this, in this year, and we try and encourage each other to share uh, invitationally with others the life of Christ, can we celebrate every little victory? You know, too often the church celebrates the end point. This is what I mean. We all clap when someone gets saved or when we baptize people. We had 50 people baptized this year and we all go, yes, that's great. And we must celebrate that. Absolutely, let's celebrate that with all of our hearts. What I'm trying to say is this. When you go, Mr. Foster, Richard, when Richard invites someone from work to something, to a life group or to have a drink with him so he can engage with the person, and the guy says no, and Richard gets up and he says, I just want to share with you guys today, this week I invited my friend John. He said no again but I invited him. That we go, well done! You invited him! You did it again! Come on! No, we, 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 we get discouraged too easily, don't we? It's like, oh no, not again. No, he said no again. No, let's rejoice when someone has the courage. That's living in courageous faith, isn't it? That's, well done. You, you had the courage to ask. They might have said no for the fifth time, but you had the courage to ask. Well done. Let's, let's applaud that. Come on now. You can say amen. This is good news. Help people. Encourage people. Let's not just celebrate the end event. It's an incredible privilege when people share their story with us. Let's learn to tell the bigger story. And so... I want to encourage you, you can write another five things down as we finish. My encouragement as we start this year is just simply this. One, can we commit all of us to going deeper in Jesus? Just go deeper with Jesus this year. When we were praying before the meeting, there's that story of uh, the river, and the river goes... Ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, and then eventually they're swimming in the river. You know that, that picture? Can we just... I, I'm, not a, I'm not trying to discourage anyone. I'm trying to encourage you. I'm not trying to say you're not in a good place with God. Wherever you are, if you feel like you are ankle deep, my encouragement to you is, great, well done. At least you're in the river. Come on now. Can you go a little bit deeper? Maybe just up to your ankles this year. If you feel like you're up to your knees in the river... Well done. Can I encourage you? Let's go a little bit deeper. That we're all in each, encouraging each other just to go a little bit deeper with Jesus this year as the bedrock for 2016. Yes? Secondly, can I encourage you to live? What do you mean, Ant? Live, that's the beginning. It's to live a life that goes deep into Jesus in a real way, in a meaningful way. Yeah? I've been trying to encourage people at the beginning of the year through Facebook and other ways that I can. Get yourself connecting in a regular way with Jesus. In the past, I used to try and encourage people and say, 
well, read the whole Bible, this Bible reading plan, read through the whole Bible. I've stopped doing that because I have to say that wasn't life to me. I find it quite hard to do that. And I, I found that I'd always get stuck in one place and want to just think about it for a while. So I don't do that anymore. I, well, I do, but I don't. This is what I mean. I don't beat myself up when I miss one day. Because that's what happens, isn't it? We've got a Bible reading plan. We want to read through the Bible, and then we miss one day, and we go, oh God, I'm a terrible sinner. I missed my Bible reading today. We feel all condemned. I want to encourage you not to do that. I want to encourage you to feel joyful as you engage with the Scripture, but at least you engage with it somehow this year. Live in a meaningful way with Jesus. Secondly, show up. <laughs> this is what I mean. Show up. When you are involved with your friends in, in a and you're having a meal with someone, and there's, there's someone there that doesn't know Jesus. Show up into the room in this sense. Be aware of them, that they're not a believer, that there's an opportunity. I'm, I'm not saying we must have like this ruthless kind of thing of, of every person we meet, we kind of try and get them saved. But be aware of them, that they might be hurting and broken, that they might have a story to tell you that you can engage with if you just... Be skillful in listening to their heart and where they're actually at. Yeah? That's what I'm trying to learn to get better at. To engage with people in a way that's not kind of, sort of, you know, cookie cutter, three steps to salvation, blah, 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 like that. But to engage with them where they are. What their background is. They've, they've got a story of their own struggle. Our cities are full of struggling people. Surely, surely, in our passion for Christ, we can engage in a real way with people's struggle to help them find Christ in some way. You with me? Thirdly, so live, go deeper with Jesus. Secondly, live in a real, meaningful way. Show up, take every moment as an opportunity to engage with someone. And then, can I just say this, relate. Take the time to build relationship. I said this to you last week, and I want to say it again. My dream for this church is that we will not see people through cultural lenses at all. That when you see me, you will see someone who's a lover of Jesus. You will ignore my accent. That my accent will not make a difference to you. That you wouldn't care what my accent is. That's a kingdom person. That I don't see talks as Nigerian. I see talks as a lover of Jesus who's a brother in Christ, and I love him, and I engage with him. I don't see Donna as someone from the Caribbean, although she is, and I love jerk chicken and all that stuff, and, and reggae music, but I see her, she's, my, she, she's a sister in Christ. I love her for who she is, what God's done in her life. I don't see Ed as someone, an Englishman from Preston. Got it wrong. Where is it? Close enough. Yeah, he speaks with a northern accent. No, he's... So what about his accent? He's my brother. Matt is from Australia. So what about his accent? I don't care two hoots that he speaks like an Australian. Only if they win the cricket, then I get a little bit upset. (laughs) But what I'm trying to say to you, can we go on a journey together where we are not seeing people through cultural lenses? We are seeing people through kingdom lenses. God's people first. We love people because they are God's people. And then everybody is part of God's kingdom. 
I had some friends at the end of 2015. I'm not sure I've got any friends at the beginning of 2016. But anyway, this is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. I want to encourage you as we go on a journey this year that we would live invitationally in every area of our lives to see God's kingdom come. And I want to have a look in the next couple of weeks. What does kingdom mean? What does the church mean? How do the two work together so it can inspire us that we can continue to live invitationally? And so I want to encourage you this morning to respond. We're not going to break the bread. All I want to do is ask you this. Is if you feel convicted, compelled, uh, in some way, just to move forward in terms of your own life and taking the message of Jesus that's inside of you to someone else in your friendship circle in a meaningful way, to engage with them, I want to ask you to stand. And I'm just going to pray that the Holy Spirit will empower us to do that. And that we begin to go on a journey together as a church community, learning to live in an outward-focused way that invites people to Christ. Yeah? So if you want to stand, you want to respond, say, yep, I'm going to give energy to that this year. I'm going to try and learn to live like that together as I'm going to do that for my own life. That's wonderful. Let's just ask the Holy Spirit to help us. We can't do this without the Holy Spirit. eh? How can 200 people go and invite 250 others so 50,000 turn up the next week? It's an act of God's mercy. It's an act of grace. We can do what we can, but only God can do the miraculous. Yes? Let's lift our hands and just say, Jesus, Jesus, we see, we see you as our great shepherd who loves the whole world. And Jesus, I ask you now, I ask you on behalf of our beautiful church community, thank you for every single person that you have joined to this community from so many backgrounds, different places. Lord, we rejoice in the good thing that you're doing. And God, my prayer is simply this, that you would empower us this year to live in a way that invites others to this amazing, joyful grace of Christ that has transformed our lives. Help us to engage with our friends, Lord, in meaningful ways. Help us to take time to listen to the struggle of their life, that we might just engage with them and say, I, I have found some freedom in Jesus, and let me share my story with you. Let us not, Lord, be cookie-cutter people that just three steps into heaven, and we try to push that onto people. Lord, help us to engage with the story of people's lives. Holy Spirit, empower us by your grace to be brave, to be courageous, to take the risk when no one else will. Lord Jesus, help us to find your mercy in our own lives so we can give your mercy away to everyone that we meet. Jesus, I trust you that this year we will see many saved. We will see many, many saved through the life of this church as we faithfully live out what you've done and trust your Holy Spirit to give us opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. We love you, Lord. We honor you. We thank you for every good thing that you are doing. And we ask, because of your kindness towards the world, use us, Lord, to bring many sons to glory, many daughters to glory. In Jesus' name, we pray. Everyone says... Amen.